Thank you, Glenn. That song we just sang, how many, time, how many of you have heard that one before? Okay. I, I haven't. So that was the first time I've heard that one. The lyrics, when the race is complete, yet I will still repeat, yet not I, but through Christ and me, reminds me actually of one of my favorite songs, again, from uh, William Cooper. There's a fountain filled with blood. Ever by faith, since, ever since by faith, I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. What a great testament. Redeeming love shall be our theme and shall be to the day I die. To be able to utter that final amen. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue, great for every preacher, Lispering, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Brothers and sisters, that is why God has called us to be his people, to sing his power to save. If you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10 this morning. Acts chapter 10. So we are not hearing the turning of pages because everyone's just clicking on their phones. I'll never get used to that. How many of you have been to Levittown in Lower Bucks County? Wow, not many. How many of you have heard of Levittown? Or maybe I should say haven't heard. Okay, that's a good bit. How many of you actually know the background of Levittown? Like the history of it a little bit. All right, not many. Okay, a little history lesson. Levittown, Pennsylvania is actually not the first Levittown. There's a Levittown, New York, that was built in around 47 to 51. Levittown, Pennsylvania was built in the 52 to 58. Now, the original idea for Levittown, at least on the surface, sounded good. See, men were returning from the war, and William Levitt and his company sought to build affordable homes for these returning soldiers, for these returning veterans. So he partnered with the VA, the Veterans Affairs, and the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration, in order to build affordable homes for newly returning veterans. Well, some veterans. See, Bill Myers was a staff sergeant in World War II, and then in 1957, Bill and his wife Daisy found a home for sale in Levittown, PA. But they couldn't find a bank willing to give them a loan. The problem? They were African American. Levitt refused to sell homes to people of color. Levittown, both the New York and PA versions, were built with a racial covenant in each deed. In other words, no African American was to be living in Levittown. William Levitt, considered the pioneer of suburban development, believed that these homes were for Caucasians only. The way the deeds were set up, the banks would refuse a mortgage to African Americans. So the banks, in cooperation with the FHA and the VA, our government, kept America segregated. 
If you don't believe me or want to read more, check out Richard Rothstein's The Color of Law. Big 300-page book that goes into detail of all these stories and how his primary thesis is that government policy put an inherent rate was inherently racist and led to the segregation of America. Now eventually the Myers found a philanthropist in New York City who actually gave them a private mortgage. They moved into the Dogwood Hollow section of Levittown and a few days after moving in, a United States postal carrier saw that they were African Americans. He saw that he was delivering mail to an African American family. As he was making his rounds, he went around shouting, ENDS, fill in the blank, have moved into Levittown. ENDS have moved into Levittown. As he made his rounds throughout, he shouted that within moments, well, within days, I should say, 600 white demonstrators gathered in front of the Myers home and began pelting it with rocks. Some even rented a house next door for the sole purpose of harassing the Myers, seeking to drive them out of what should be a white Levittown. For two months, the police did nothing. In fact, many of the police officers were egging on the rioters, and many, some of them later were charged with actually inciting violence. The KKK symbol was painted on the side of the rented house facing the Myers' home. This is all detailed in Rothstein's book. Eventually, the PA general attorney, attorney general prosecuted some of the rioters, but after living under constant threat, the Myers left. Discrimination, racism, and prejudice are hideous expressions of the hatred within each human heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked, and God's people are not exempt from such darkness, hatred, and wickedness. See, discrimination, racism, and prejudice are all at the heart of the passage this morning. But don't lose sight of this. So is the wonder and the power of the transforming resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts 10, we see God's resurrection power transform Peter's blind heart and save a Gentile family, a Gentile family that was once considered as outcasts to the early church. So I want to read this morning all of Acts 10. It's a long passage, so open up your Bibles, hang tight, and follow along with me. God's holy word says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
<clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house about the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore... We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after a baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. I'm going to divide this up into two parts. Verses 1 to 33, we're going to see a full gospel for a partial people. A full gospel for a partial people. We're going to look at how the early church got the gospel right but failed to grasp the universality of its reach. And then in verses 34 to 48, we're going to see an impartial God and a gospel for everyone. An impartial God and a gospel for everyone. It's the second point that I want us to take away is the main point this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone who believes because we have an impartial God. In other words, we have a God that so loved the world with the implication of being, so should we by sharing the good news with others. So verses 1 through 33, a full gospel for a partial people. So the Jews at this time believed in a full gospel, the, the believers, but for a partial people. So if we keep with our introductory story of the Myers, the Jews allowed for certain veterans to move into the housing development only if they were Jews. No Gentiles were allowed. That was, this was their view. Full housing opportunities, but only for some people. Thankfully, God is going to blow up this faulty, sinful thinking. Remember at the end of chapter 9, Peter just healed Aeneas and Lydda and Tabitha and Joppa. He was staying there for some time in the house of a man named Simon. But chapter 10 starts off in Caesarea, a port city along the Mediterranean coast, about a two-day's journey from Joppa. And there we meet a man named Cornelius, a Gentile, a centurion, a man who Luke describes as devout, who feared God with all his household. He was what we would call a God-fearing Gentile. He was not Jewish, but he believed in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He believed in the God of Scripture. One day at around three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision of an angel of God. In verse 4, the angel tells him, Your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial sacrifice to God. 
God heard your prayers. And God, through the angel, commanded him to send for Peter. So Cornelius gathered two of his servants, one of his soldiers, and sent them that two-day journey down to Joppa. Now, interestingly, in the following day, around noon, we shift back to Peter. Peter is up on the roof praying. All of a sudden, his stomach starts grumbling. He's ready for lunch. It's being prepared, and he falls into a trance. Verses 11 to 21, I'm sorry, 11 to 12. He saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then verse 13 comes, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. By no means, Lord. I could never do that. Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Here's what Peter's saying. I'm a good, law-abiding Jewish citizen. I would never associate with anything unclean, whether it is an animal, a reptile, or a bird, or even a Gentile. The voice comes again. Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happens three times. Peter snaps out of the trance, and he's confused. He's perplexed. He's trying to figure out what's going on. What does this vision mean? What God has made clean, do not call in common. This doesn't make sense. God, what are you doing here? I don't under... Is there a Peter here? Is there a Peter here? We've been sent by an angel. The cohort sent by Cornelius arrives and meets with Peter. Cornelius, our master, is an upright and God-fearing man. He is well spoken of by other Jews. He was directed by an holy angel to seek you out, Peter. And now we're here. Will you come back with us? Will you come back with us? At that very moment, Peter was left with a decision. Would he go to the despised hated Gentiles following the obedience of God or would he run? It should not be lost on us that 800 years before this event there stood another messenger in Joppa. Another one who was commissioned by God to go to the Gentiles and he chose to hop on a boat to Tarshish. Jonah Refuse to go to the Ninevites. What would Peter do? Well, we know from Scripture that Peter answered the commission in a very different way. The next day, Peter and the men set out for Caesarea. Some of the disciples from Joppa tag along. After the two-day trip, they enter Caesarea, head straight to Cornelius' house, and they're invited in, and Cornelius knows they're coming. He's prepared. He's brought his family, his friends, his relatives. There is good news, and I want you to hear it. And as soon as Peter walks to the door, Cornelius falls down at him and worships him. And Peter's like, stand up. I'm just a man like you. And Peter begins talking about how he really shouldn't be here. Look at verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit 
anyone of another nation. See, up until this point, we could say that the apostles and disciples had a sort of a broken view of the good news. They clearly understood the essence of the gospel, the nature of the gospel, but they misunderstood the scope of the gospel. They misunderstood the universality of the gospel. They misunderstood that the gospel is for all who believe. They correctly understood the gospel as the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the powerful resurrection of Christ, but they thought it was only for themselves. There was no hole in their gospel. There was no misunderstanding of what God had done through Jesus Christ. What they failed to see was that the gospel was for everyone who would believe. They limited it to the, themselves. They, they had a limited view of the scope of the gospel. See, the Jewish conception of clean versus unclean actually originated in God's Old Testament holiness laws. The Levitical law was to show forth the holiness of God. So Jews were to separate from Gentiles because Gentiles were unclean. And here's what the Jews did wrong. They took that to mean geographically and physically separate from the Gentiles when God meant it as do not imitate them. Do not be like them. What does John say? We are to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what the Jews got wrong with the Gentiles. They thought that in order for them to not be like the Gentiles, they had to keep away from them and never associate with them, never walk in their house. They took a law that was meant for good, showing God's holiness, and actually turned it to a racist, discriminatory law. That should be a reminder for us of how twisted our hearts so very often turn God's good gifts into evil. John Stott calls this entrenched prejudice. He writes this, The tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised Gentiles and dogs, and developed traditions which kept them apart. Where have we seen this before in America? <laughs> the church. But here's the good news. It takes a supernatural act of God to clear up Peter's muddled thinking. Twice we are told he wasn't fully grasping even the supernatural revelation. It finally dawned on him when he got to Cornelius' house and saw all these God-fearing Gentiles ready to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were a prepared people. But up until this point, Peter still held on to the gospel only for a partial people. The light bulb finally clicked on. And Peter says, But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came. Cornelius then recounts his vision of how the angel commanded him to send for Peter. And I love what he says at the end of verse 33. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Complete side note, and maybe this will get me in trouble. You want to know how you're supposed to come to church Sunday morning? Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. What a great way to come to church, right? God prepared Cornelius and his family to believe. He prepared Peter to understand and proclaim 
The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the powerful resurrection is for everyone who believes. So to our second point, we have an impartial God and the Gospel for everyone. How wonderful. Peter had a captive audience. An audience eager to hear the Word of God. An audience that sent people on a two-day trip to bring back a preacher of God's Word. Verse 34, Peter says, Truly, truly the light bulbs come on. I get it now. I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation... Anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Anyone who believes and obeys the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. God shows no favorites. See, the very reason God chose a particular people in Israel was for them to be a light to the Gentiles. If you really grasp the Old Testament, you'll see that God, His plan has always been for the good news to go forth to the world. So when the Jews were surprised that the gospel was believing, being believed by the Gentiles, it was a complete oversight of Scripture. They had gotten it completely wrong. Of course, they had got a lot completely wrong, namely the Messiah. Just stand as a strong reminder to us that we may think we have the right theology, but we could be off by miles. The point being not that we don't hold on to truth with conviction, But it does mean that we do so with gentleness, with grace sprinkled in, with a whole lot of humility. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God was concerned for the nations. So much so that in Abram, he chose a specific individual in order to become a great nation, in order to bless all the nations. This has been God's plan throughout Scripture. And now we are engrafted into God's plan. Romans 9, we the people of God, the Gentiles are grafted in as a spiritual nation of Israel. We continue in that tradition. We are grafted in. And as those who are grafted into the people of God, we also are meant to proclaim the Word of God to those who are not yet believers. The Word sent to Israel was nothing less than the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So what is this good news? Verses 36 to 43 offer us a great picture of the essence of the gospel. It tells tells us of Jesus' perfect life. How God anointed Jesus with the Spirit and with power. How God was with Jesus throughout His life. How there were signs of wonder and word. And then there's Jesus' sacrificial death. How Jesus was put to death by hanging on a tree. But He did not stay dead. Jesus rose powerfully from the grave. And on the third day, and then this Jesus is this one. He is the one, verse 43 tells us, whom all the prophets bore witness to, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. That is the good news of the Gospel. Everyone who believes, and this is exactly what happened to Cornelius and his house, as Peter is sharing this Gospel message with them, this Gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, the Spirit of God falls upon the entire house. And those who hear believe. Leaving the disciples of Joppa who came with Peter amazed 
even the Gentile, even the Gentiles, even the black person, even the homosexual, even the person that's remarkably different from me, believes anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. From a symbolic perspective, in chapter 10, the gospel comes to the ends of the earth. The commission in Acts 1.8 has reached a fulfillment of sorts. The Spirit of God is poured out to the Gentiles. In some sense, the, the, the mission is complete, but in another sense, the mission has only just begun. The gospel is still going forth, even to this day, to the Gentiles. It is going forth to everyone who believes. This is the good news of the gospel. So what does this mean for us? As we've been talking about the last few weeks, God uses people that his good news transforms in order to bring about transformation in others. Here God uses Peter to bring the gospel to Cornelius and his household. They all believed, and a new chapter in the story of God's gospel going forth is opened up. Its pages turned. The people who believe that the gospel wants once only for themselves now see that the gospel is for all who believe, even the Gentiles. Even those Gentiles we hated only a few days ago. God has chosen from before the foundations of the world men and women and children from every tribe, every language, every people and nation. He has purchased them by the blood of Christ. So in this sense, the gospel is for everyone. So what this means for us is that we need to be offering the gospel to all. We don't know who will believe or who will not. God has not said, this person is one I've chosen, this person is not one I've chosen. He said, go and preach, go and proclaim to all. And you know what? I'll do the work. I've chosen them. I will save them. I will redeem them. But your job is to go and preach and proclaim, to make disciples. What he commands is to make disciples, to proclaim the free offer of the gospel to all who believe. Why do we do that? Because of what Christ has done in us, taking his very enemies, me, a very enemy of God, and transformed us into his beloved children. So we need to consider, is there any person or group of people that we despise? Is there any person we hold with prejudice or contempt in our heart? I once had a seminary student, a guy I worked for, he was going to Westminster. You can't get more, well, from my perspective at least, pretty solid, solid than that. But I remember him coming and telling me that homosexuals cannot be saved because that was the judgment of God upon them. And I remember thinking, well, wait a minute, what about 1 Corinthians 6? Or is it 9? This is off the cuff of the head, I haven't written this down. But Paul says, and such were some of you. What does that mean? God can save anyone. Remember the passage we read a few weeks back, Matthew 19? The rich man. It's next to impossible for him to be saved. It'd be easier to go in the eye of a uh, send a camel through the eye of a needle. But with God, what church? All things are possible. 
All things are possible. So here's the question for you. Maybe, who is the person or people group that you maybe have contempt in your heart towards? Who that you may not want to be near? Maybe it's a person at church that you avoid. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's a homosexual coworker, Or a really grouchy old miserable neighbor. Or the young single mother who just can't seem to control her kids. Or the spouse who's always angry and depressed. Or maybe it's that, that AOC-loving Democrat brother-in-law. Or maybe that Rush Limbaugh, now-grieving Republican father. Or it's the black teenager that's dressed like a thug. Or the white hipster in skinny jeans. Here's my point. Is there any one person or group of people where our sinful, prejudiced hearts keep us from loving them as we should? keep us from sharing the gospel with them as we should. Because if we truly believe that our God is an impartial God and that the gospel is for everyone who believes, then there is no one who does not deserve to hear the gospel pouring from our lips and flowing from our hearts. No one. If the gospel is truly a message for everyone, if we ourselves, the most wretched of sinners, can be transformed by God's gospel, then that gospel is the power of God to salvation for anyone and everyone who believes. So church, this morning, for many of us, we may stand on a road in Joppa. God is called us as his people to proclaim his good news to everyone we interact with regardless of whether we like them or not regardless of whether they like us or not he has called us to go each follower of christ is called to go to make other disciples of jesus christ so the question then is this who will we be like will we be like jonah who ran away, got on a boat, went as far as way possible, was thrown into the ocean, swallowed up by a whale, spit out on the sand, begrudgingly went and preached, and then sat miserable under a tree? Or will we be like Peter, who said, you know what, God, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. I, I, I can't see you saving this person, but you know what? You're an impartial God. I'm going. I'm going to obey you. And he sees the gospel proclaimed and the Spirit of God poured out and the gospel going to the Gentiles because of his faithfulness. Who are we possibly keeping the gospel from because we don't like them or they're different from us or they don't belong? Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears and does what is right is acceptable to him. And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Brothers and sisters, God is impartial. His gospel is for everyone who believes. May we, his people, who've been so radically transformed by that gospel, have that gospel pouring out of our mouths and our hearts, proclaiming it to the ends of the earth.
Father, our good Father, you anointed your beloved Son, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power. It was your plan all along for him to be put to death by hanging on the cross. But he did not stay dead. On the third day, in power and might, you, O God, raised Jesus from the grave. And now you have commanded us. You have not made it optional. You have commanded all your disciples to proclaim the good news to everyone who believes. How we need your help, Spirit. How we need your help to proclaim this good news, which is the power of God to salvation. Give us that gospel boldness, that power, that even the worst of sinners are savable because all things are possible with God. Keep our sinful, twisted hearts from prejudice. Do a true work in us, Father. Help us to see each person created with dignity and beauty in your image. Help us to love each person enough to share the gospel with them, especially those who are not like us. Allow us to be a people who go to the despised, the oppressed, the forgotten, and the left behind. Allow us a people to go in and say, you know what, we're not supposed to be here because you're Gentiles, but we're sent by God to be here. For what you have done with us, O God. In saving us, you have saved your enemies. The very ones who rebelled against you, who sought to suppress your truth and unrighteousness, while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. Keep us planted in your gospel mercies so that we may faithfully proclaim them to others. It's in the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.